Initiative Podcast, issue number 82, volume 2, or volume 282, whatever you want to call it. I am so-called DM Vince, sitting along so-called DM Will. Hey, so-called. So-called, yes. So-called. <laughs> and our extension of a problem, DM Matt. Hey, everyone. And that other guy, Blackstone. Oh, wait, I mean Nick. <laughs> DM Nick, yes. Hello, everybody. <laughs> All right, so back for the show. So let's uh, let's talk about the big elephant in the room. What's going on, um, Bonnie Cook dropping away from D and D next? Anybody, <laughs> have, anyone have any speculations on that? Uh, I don't know. It's just if you read Monty's post about it, he was really vague, but it just sounded like there was some creative differences, and he had one idea and to take it and. Uh, uh, either Watsy or the other people he was working with had other ideas, and he just decided to no longer be a part of the project. So I don't know. Yeah, I think according to his post, I think he said it wasn't with the people he was working with, that it was the management from Wizards of Coast. I guess that's what he was alluding to. So, okay. I, I, you know, I look at it like this. You know what? That's great. You know who that's great for? That's great for Paizo because I think Paizo might hand him your, uh, your stretch out through hand and say, come on over. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. And then uh March twenty fourth, I believe, is when the open play test starts for uh-huh. the common people. So, May. May. Yes. I I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes like just they post some document documents up like uh Paizo did for yeah. the uh, Pathfinder beta, at which point yeah, I, then I I'll be able that... to actually talk about fifth edition. Yeah, I just found it interesting when I did hear about that Monty Cook left. I and <laughs> I just kind of it just kind of makes me wonder because he just didn't he just come on the project maybe six months ago or so. Uh, well, that... that's when it was announced. Be- well, actually, it was longer than that because we had our first bit of a D and D next back in January. So that's almost been. He has a bit on. He wasn't on the project for that long. So how active was he with the project, Matt? Uh. I thought he was one of the head people. It was him, Robert Schwab, and oh, another person whose name escapes me. Mike Merles? Uh, Merles is over all of D&D. Mm. Yeah. So he's like, and then it's like Mike Merles and everyone below. And it was like Greg Bisland, uh, I think also came in. I think with Monty Cook is, Monty Cook has the the attitude of it's my way or no way. Yeah, you know, who he's done knows? stuff, and he's done enough stuff in his life, as far as making books and games that he knows what works and doesn't work. And if he doesn't like something, he'll say it. He's True. Kind of, he's kind of like that guy who just he says it when he needs to say it, and if people don't agree with him, he'll he'll just walk away. And that must I, say a lot then, just by I, the simple yeah. fact that he's left off D and D next or D and D fifth edition, whatever the heck they're calling it. 
I've seen him once or twice in the past walk away from projects, and I believe we will. We were discussing this the other day that he has walked away from projects in the past. Yeah, you know, I, I think you know Monty Cook is an interesting character, and uh, you know, I'm not gonna talk bad about the guy and everything. Oh. And you know, like I said, people have burnt bridges before, and you know, there could be some issues out there. But I also look at Monty Cook has been a leader or in charge of most of the stuff in the last 10 years or so, because remember now, he had Malhovic Press. Mm-hmm. He's, he's always been in charge of his show. Well, here he is now working there, and he had a contract. He wasn't in charge. Yeah. Mm. So that could be more of an issue, too, as well, because he may not have that, you know, you know, he's been, he's been on his own for a long time. And more now of all a of sudden, power issue. More. Yeah, now yeah. he has been, you know, uh, delegated to a lower authority. So now he's taking orders. So he may not have liked that either. So yeah, like I said, he just, he's not going to discuss it. He says he doesn't like drama. So the moment he said that on his thing that he says he dislikes drama, you already know where it's coming from. It's probably a management issue. Yeah. 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 I know when I interviewed him back when I was doing Darker Days podcast, when he was doing... Uh, Monty, Monty Cook's World of Darkness. Mm-hmm. He, he told him that, you know, just give it to me. Don't worry about it. I'll handle it. And this is how it's going to be done. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. I just, I think it has to do something with that. But, well, best of luck to him. And yeah. you can only say that, I mean, if Paizo's listening. and everybody, hint, I know. <laughs> you would think Lisa Stevens would say, hey, Monty, come on over for dinner tonight. Yeah. <laughs> You know, right? I mean, if they got him under the wings of Paizo, they'd be, they'd be unstoppable. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think he needs to go over there. And guess what, Monty? Make adventures. That's yeah. all I can tell you. Make adventures, and you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so let's see. Uh, first edition reprints push back yet again. As yeah, we to saw. July, right? Looks like July. Yeah, yeah. July. I'm having. I have a feeling it's gonna be. They're gonna release uh, them at Gen Con. I just have a feeling it's a Gen Con release. Yeah, I. I think you may be right too, because it's so close to that time. Why not delay it one more month? Here are the books at Gen Con. Buy them here. We have some prints. If you want to buy them after the con, go to your local shop and order them. Oh yeah, you know they're gonna they're gonna overprint from what they've actually ordered, and they're gonna have some at the con. Oh, they have to. So. I mean, that's kind of a given. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right, though. They're gonna. They're gonna hold it maybe even for one more month for Gen Con release for everybody. So, and yeah, whatever. Did you guys uh, <laughs> see that our good friend uh, Joseph Block uh, over Adventures Dark at Deep had his Kickstart going? And he's got his pretty much all, almost all funded now. Oh, he's for- got a Kickstart going, huh? Ah. Uh, uh, I'll put the link in the show notes on Mac and put it up, but he's got a Kickstarter going for his, and it's doing pretty good. You know, this Kickstarter thing for the gaming community, I've seen already several times now how people have been, just like within a week, if not just a few days, they get their stuff fully funded. Just like, bam, yeah. it's done. Uh, who was it that Pagan Publishing they did for one of their adventure books last month, I think. Yeah, something they did Delta Green, a, I think. For well, actually, it's it, not for. They are going to do one for Delta Green, but they oh. did one for um, a set of Call of Cthulhu adventures that aren't dealing with the mythos. It's called Bumps in the Night or something like that. It's like a set of like six or seven scenarios, 
and they had that and I was one of the contributors and uh and uh, it was it was really cool. They were like done within like four or five days, boom. All all said and done. This Kickstarter thing is gonna be I think huge for folks who are trying to produce their own material. He's actually fully funded three times the amount that he needed. Wow. What's He's, his total at now? Uh, almost seventy five hundred dollars. He's actually doing really good, and it's funny how you bring up Kickstarter program because I just contributed. Uh, well, I'm going to contribute uh, this week to the uh, Steve ja- Jackson's Ogre oh, Six yep. Edition. I'm gonna go ahead and give him my hundred dollars, but I think that bad boy is close to three hundred grand right now. They're doing Kickstarter for that, and it's at three hundred k. I should be at almost at three hundred k because last time I checked, it was at two hundred eighty thousand. Yeah. Wow! I'm surprised yeah. because they they tried doing a Kickstarter about a year or two ago for uh, for Paizo for doing D twenty modern over again, but calling it P twenty modern, <laughs> and that fell short of the goal. I'm really surprised. Hmm. That was the first Kickstarter to fail. Huh. This, yeah, I don't know how many fell and everything. I'm just very leery of you know giving. Let me give you an example. I just saw someone do a Kickstarter for a board game that's coming out, and uh, my question to was, do you have any demo games? They said no, we don't. And I said, well, why would anyone want to give you money for a product, especially a board game? So we want to see the demo. We want to see game mechanics. We want to see how the, how it works for a game. I'm not going to give you fifty, sixty, seventy five dollars for a product that has not been created yet. It sounds all good on paper. Right. Then yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, you maybe they have a design that works well on paper. What do they know about actually getting the pieces made? What do they know about getting yeah. cards printed? What do they know about all of that type of stuff? Yeah, see, that, and that's an issue. Right. When you, when you donate to the Kickstarter, do you actually donate the money in, or is it just a promise to pay? It's a promise to pay if it becomes fully funded at the date the Kickstarter closes. That's when they'll pull the money out of your account. Yeah. Oh, so you put you pledge the money and then when it, it, yeah, it's oh, almost exactly. like you know like a uh, when you go on public television, it's like one of those public television pledge uh, drive kind of things. Yeah, and pre- was, and then you have the different levels of uh, donorship, which is basically your different pledge levels for your PBS uh, fund drive. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, but the funny that you mentioned about a board game. I just saw this on uh, Friday at uh, Grognardia. Apparently, Watsy is reprinting the Dungeon Board game. Yes, October. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, that is incredible. I totally missed the boat on that game when it came out back in the day. And now if they're, re- they're redoing uh, the Dungeon Board game or reprinting it. I'm definitely going to uh, snatch up a copy. Yeah. Uh, now, this is the good thing that you bring that up. You know, uh, are you all familiar with Wiz War? You all might be yeah. too young for that. I remember Wiz War. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You're close to me. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Fantasy Flight Games reprinted it. And I'm going to tell you something. They did a fantastic bang-up job on Wiz War. If they do the same thing with this dungeon game that they say that they're going to do, I say go for it. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Fantasy Flight, I think, is also redoing Fortress America. Oh, yes, and I've no been waiting way, for that really? thing for, yes, yes, yes. you got to see it. It's <laughs> awesome. I have the original with the uh, Saddam Hussein box yeah. cover. Yeah. <laughs> and guess oh what? That box is what you're, where's your money at. It's not the components of the box, right. but it's the box itself right. that's worth the money right now. Right, yeah. because there's two different box covers. There's the Saddam Hussein version and the Sad- where they put uh, glasses and a beard on Saddam Hussein. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
so I have the original. But I just see a lot of like the old board games that have been out of print for a while with inflated prices on the uh, secondary market being reprinted. Be- like Wizards of the Coast reprinted uh, Betrayal at the House on the Haunted Hill because yeah. that was going for like three hundred dollars used at one Yikes. point. Where, well, I don't know why the, yeah, that's crazy. Because no one bought the game at first, and it wasn't until it was out of print people realized this is a really fun game. Yeah. So everyone it wanted is. it. So it was one of those everyone was late to the party. Huh. I didn't well, I tell you, I got uh, two versions of the. I got two brand new copies of the old game. <laughs> and of course, I brought the new one. Of course, you know because they they fixed up all the issues that was with the first one. Great game. Just played it last week. Nice. Yeah, I, I get hit by the cats. They really should definitely look in the reprint Spellfire. I had a lot of fun playing Spellfire. Wow, Spellfire! That's a long time since I heard that. Really, you had fun playing Spellfire? Yeah, there was some cool, there was some good expansions in that game that had a lot of fun playing it. Well, I'll just leave it at that. I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go into some sage advice since I just made Nick all sad. No, well, not sad. Just no comment. <laughs> master, master. They're at the gates again. Master! It looks like another band of adventurers. Adventurers? Again? Always the same. Coming to me for sage advice. Sage advice with the chopper now. And do the chopper, get down. Resign or be prosecuted. Okay. Now, random quotes. Uh, I'll be back there. There we go. Yeah, there you go. All right. First, first stage advice: rfistaffgmail.com five seven zero eight six five forty two ten. The hotline. First one comes in. This will be directed directly to DM Nick, since he is our resident hackmaster expert. Okay. Hey guys. I have a few players in my group that have practically mesmerized memorized the monsters in the monster manual. You can mes- <laughs> They're mesmerized by the monster manual. <laughs> I can't read. I have looked over some of the hackopedias for Hackmaster. Very good monsters, by the way. And I found the monster stats to be very similar. I was wondering, have you have any tips for converting the stats for the monsters to AD&D monsters? Thanks, DM Joe. Hmm. Converting the stats, the first edition? Aren't the stats the same thing? They are pretty much the same. They really are. All you do is you don't add in... In Hackmaster, just to kind of clarify with everybody, like far as hit points is concerned, you do your standard hit dice. Fourth edition. Plus you add a, plus you add a 20 hit point kicker. It, it kind of lends to the lethality of the game because you need yeah. those extra 20 hit points. Um, just leave that off. Don't add your 20 hit point kicker and you should be good to go. Um, I've gone through the, uh, Hacklopedias and I've done a comparison with the monster manual and monster manual Two monsters. And as far as I can tell, it's pretty much, it was fully converted from one to the other. Now, some of the stuff that's might be unique, the hack master, uh, like, uh, oh, I don't know, one that leaps the mind, the creature called the Gummy Fiend. Oh. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a giant creature that looks like a mini tentacled horror that's like gummy worms. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we 
I never use that one. But uh, if you wanted to, you just yeah, just convert over the stats. It, it's it's straight over. You don't even have to uh, do any other conversion for it. Hit point, uh, ar- hit dice, armor class. It's all based off of first edition AD and D slash second edition, whatever you, edition you may be using. So now, if you were gonna do something about like converting characters, well, yeah, there that might be a different issue. But yeah, as far as monsters. Shouldn't have to do really any conversion at all, and that has to do with the the fourth edition Hackmaster, not the basic one they send out. Right, not the new basic that's coming out, and there is an advanced that's coming out. Uh, I think this summer. An advanced, well, yes, advanced Hackmaster. You know what else I would recommend? If you're if you're tired of players memorizing or being mesmerized by monsters, <laughs> shut up. However, however, I will tell you this though: look into the Tome of Horrors. Complete for the uh, the swords and wizardry game because isn't the swords and wizardry rule related to first edition AD and D? No, the stats and everything. Sword and wizardry? No, that's yeah. like old brown box D and D. Oh, yeah. I went back too far. What am I thinking? I'm going back. You know what? I'm being mesmerized by stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> now, so forget what I was saying. I was just saying that Tomo Horrors would have been a great thing. It's 800 pages of monsters. And I swear to God that the uh, the stats were close enough that you could use that, you know, and then convert over. But I guess maybe it's too far gone. It's close enough, I guess. It's a little brown book, basically, but, you know, the original brown books. But Yeah, it's not really that hard because it's AC, hit die, hit points, special. I, I say look into the Tome of Horrors Complete by Frog God Games. I think they have an example of some of those monsters. And if they fit and you can easily convert them over to first edition AD&D, Lord knows, into Hackmaster. Yeah, you, have, you also mutate your monsters, too. Just because oh, yeah. Goblin looks like a goblin. Change the color. Make him like have a bigger arm than the other arm. And there's a great supplement for Hackmaster for that you can easily use for first or second edition. Uh, it was part of the Hacklopedias. It was the last uh, book in the series. It was called The Monster Matrix. Oh, and yeah. If, and if you could find that, there is some great stuff. That's that's the book I used where, for even now, uh, my uh, my players complain about the uh, one-eyed red Venusian hobgoblins that I sent after them. <laughs> yeah, they they're they one-eyed? tend to you know, one-eyed Venusian hobgoblins. Well, they're cyclops. Then, if they have one eye, they were red. And um, <laughs> Venusian variants, when you kill them, there's a seventy percent chance that they explode. Oh, <laughs> oh so, they're like the draconians. yeah. They hated me for that. Yeah, they're like those draconians from Dragonlance. Yeah, they hated me for that, and it was great. <laughs> I guess they were mesmerized by those two, huh? <laughs> yeah, that if that's another thing. If he will uh, try to find that monster matrix, if it's still out there, check on eBay or Amazon. Um, yeah, I would more than uh, agree that's uh, a great supplement to have. Also, check out online. Go to Fantasy Monsters and stuff like that. Find, you know, uh, mytholo- yeah, mythological monsters, make your own stats up for them. Yep. Or just design your own creature from scratch. There you go. You can, you can make up a DM Nick monster for all that mattered, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. That sounds really, really scary. It does. <laughs> okay. Thank you, DM Joe. Oh, oh, oh. oh, not that Joe. Not that Joe, huh? <laughs> Next letter comes in from Matt. No, not DM Matt. Not me. Matt. Nope. Hey guys, was listening to issue number 28, 
whoa, long time ago. And there was a discussion about a person named Wombat. This always comes up every once in a while, I noticed. And it reminded me of a random encounter, encounter I had when I was 10 or so. I was sitting on the bumper of my dad's truck, and some dude in his late 20s came by, came rambling by and looked at me with my friend in all serious and exclaimed, Wombat! And they continued walking around the block. This had nothing to do with AD&D, but that episode reminded me of that very weird childhood moment that is forever branded in my memory. Thanks for all the awesome shows. Keep up, keep it up, fellas, Matt. Well, thanks for sharing. <laughs> Not a freaky. Some guy just wombat and walked away. What the world is a wombat? Is that the thing from Star Wars? No, that's a wampa. A wombat is kind of like a... Isn't it like a... I'm it's not like, sure what it's, it's like. A ro- it's a small little rodent. Yeah, it's like a rodent. It, but it's it? a marsupial. So it, so it's oh, in, a, in the real world. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, Noah, they shot wombats in Star, Star Wars. No, yeah. wampas. You sure it wasn't a wombat? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Womp, you're thinking womp rat. Yeah. There's wombat. No, if I, wanted, if I want to see swamp rats, I know where to find no, swamp rats. Womp, womp rat, not swamp rat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! This, this Remember, is uh, Luke said, hey, "I used to uh, bullseye uh, womp rats uh, in my T sixteen oh, back home, and they were no bigger rats. than two meters." Oh right. my God! I think I did that uh, line by line right there, didn't I? Yeah. Yes, you did. You're a nerd. Ooh, Thank nerd. you. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> Actually, wasn't, Zing- wasn't Jason Zinga. named Wombat too at the time? That's how the whole thing got started. He had a friend it, named Wombat or something. I, something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's all the letters we have this week. Uh, if you want to write in, write in. You know the address. You know the phone number. And uh, we'll head into Table Matters. Yeah, I remember back in the day, a fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell you, with all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn ya. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach ya some Table Manners. Alright, hello everyone. On today's Table Manners, we're going to talk about the Forgotten Realms and playing there. So if, uh, uh, if I say anything, guys, I want you to chime in on anything that I might you know, talk about. So but this is a big subject here. Yeah. yeah. So the Forgotten Realms. Oh my lord! I tell you, I love the Forgotten Realms. It, it is um, one of the older settings. I, I believe it's considered one of the oldest, if not the oldest. No. Uh, no. It's not the oldest. Which one is? Uh, Greyhawk, the oldest. Greyhawker in Blackmore. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I knew, well, Green Ed Greenwood created uh, the Forgotten Realms in 1967. Oh, we're talking about that why. I think it meant published wise. Yeah, pub- oh no, no, published wise. No, that's a whole different story yeah. because I don't think his works were published until the mid eighties. Uh, uh, well, uh, the all of his uh, creature uh, ecologies in Dragon, everything he wrote was written in the Forgotten Realms. It may not have specifically called it out. Yeah, he would use stuff like the realms. He wouldn't or right. You know, so, and call it the first uh, mention of that was like an issue 30 of Dragon in 7 October 79. Yeah, see. So it comes around that time period. So the realms was something that was was coming around during that time period. But I was looking up in the history and that's what it was called. It was called the realms. Yeah. But I guess he created it out of his like childhood dreams or his childhood 
stories or yeah. or it's, it's, he i guess he was a very imaginative child because back in those times well he might not have been a child in 1967 but in any case uh he created this this realm place and it's kind of funny because as i was reading on it and everything uh wizards of the coast i'm not sorry not wizards of the coast, but it was a tsr kind yeah. of change how because it was kind of a correlation of how to get to these realms through from the real world yeah mm-hmm. saw that and uh, i saw that was really funny because they kind of like pulled that out uh, that that kind of that that context out of the uh, out of the story and everything because they didn't want people to get confused with it and actually think there was a a, a realms that they can you know go into right yeah that's right though when when they were gonna do the box set the first box set right it was kind of weird reading that yeah they didn't they didn't want the whole association with it with the forgotten realms that there might be like a they didn't want to make it sound like that there could be like a real portal to the forgotten realms <laughs> of the earth. And, and they, they, you know, we're talking mid late eighties when they were going to start this and the whole thing with Dean D being evil and all that junk was still around. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, because I think what it was, it was like a parallel earths or something like that. And, and yeah, that- it was really weird how they discussed it and everything. I didn't read too much into it and everything because it, it, I just wanted to get away from that because it sounded too kooky. Uh, but, you know, I mean, hey, you got to admit, though, starting in 1967 and to what it is right now, it's just amazing. And just for those that do not know, the Forgotten Realms will be the default setting for D&D Next. Oh. Oh, really? Yes, I it is. I know that. Yes, to- yes. Oh. Yeah, I thought it would be Greyhawk again. Ah. Uh, Surprise. Nah. Hmm. Yeah, they're going realms. Yeah, I think Greyhawk was only for first edition because second edition was Forgotten Realms. 3.0 and 3.5, they went to Eberron, but I think that was just like a a supplementary system. But but it was still the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, it was Forgotten Realms was the main one. Eberron was something that came out after. And they had like... And Not just a smattering of Greyhawk stuff. I think they did the game of and that was it. When 3D came out, it was living for Greyhawk for the longest time. Yeah. I remember that. I remember living Greyhawk. They only made like one major book for it, I think. Yeah. Was- and then they went to 3.5 and switched over to you know, Forgotten Realms. So. Yeah. Again, so again, you see how, how it goes and everything. It's kind of weird. But now the Forgotten Realms. I mean, oh, I don't know what the, where to begin with that and everything. It it reminds me of the Greyhawk. Greyhawk's a little different than, you know, the Forgotten Realms. I think that uh, the Forgotten Realms is more fantasy. It is more, and I see this is the weird part here. People say, like, what do you mean by more fantasy? I think that it's more, there's more magic. It's a high magic setting. Yeah. Default-wise, oh, yeah. it is a very high magical setting. I definitely uh, agree. Yeah. And and one of the things I found also unique, and I don't think Greyhawk was like this as far as I'm concerned. I don't ever think it was. The deities of, of the Forgotten Realms played a more major a, a more major role in interacting with mortals. the normal inhabitants, the mortals yes. of the Realm. Yeah, Heavily, that's definitely true. <laughs> Heavily involved with the mortals and making decisions of the world, yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely, definitely was that too as well, and uh, and like Greyhawk though, they have some awesome personalities, mm-hmm. and you know, and I don't want people, I, I want people to understand when I talk about personalities, and so I was talking to some people last night about personalities, and the guy says, "What's a personality?" 
And I said, oh, here we go. A personality is like uh, Morden Canaan. A personality is like Elminster. A personality is like the president of the United States. It's a very important person that has a following, uh, not a cult following, but you, you see what I'm saying. There's a large group of people that likes them. Or mm-hmm. dislikes them. So both the Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk, they all have phenomenal personalities and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we talk about uh, Elminster. Uh, who else do we got? Uh, Dritz. Dritz. Dritz, yeah, of all people. He's probably got the biggest cult following in the world yeah. right now. Everybody- Brunor Battlehammer. Brunor Battlehammer. And so we talk about all the heroes, you know, like Caterbury, mm-hmm. uh, Dragon Bait. Do you remember Dragon Bait? Yep. Dragon Bait from Azure Bonds. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I mean, there's so many of them. And, and it just goes on. But then we also forget the bad guys because they're also personalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a couple, like uh, Zaz Tam. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a uh, Halaster Black Cloak. Oh, there you go. I couldn't say he was a bad guy, but he was kind of weird, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sindre. Uh, I mean, Lord Cutter. I mean, it just is so many personalities. It just it's it's impossible. Manshoon. He was one of my favorites. I loved Manshoon. Who was the one that was the he was what Lord Soth? Or is that Ravenloft? No, Lord nope. Lord Soft was Dragonlance, and then they pulled okay. him into Ravenloft. Okay, right. I'm sorry. I got confused. Sorry. Sorry. Let's strike yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some personalities real similar to Lord Soth. So, no, it's okay. You can you can mess things up. We all make mistakes. That's you know what I also noticed about the gods and the deities in, in uh, Forgotten Realms? They, since it was so heavily evolved, they became more involved with the priests that followed them, that they gave them special abilities for following. Oh, mm-hmm. yes, definitely. Domain. That's where the like priests were able to use different type of weapons. Which yeah, never... I was just gonna mention that. Like yeah. some, some of the guys <laughs> like whips, chains, spears, things like. When you got heavily into second edition, more so. Yeah, that was right. like Lovatar. If you if you worship Lovatar, yes, I say Lovatar. Some people say it's Lovatar. It doesn't make a difference. It's Lovatar. You use whips, I believe, whips and chains or something. That's her, her, you know, weapons. I thought that's great. I think that is exactly the diversity that's, that a lot of gamers are looking for that yeah. was found in first edition. However, there's nothing wrong with taking that material and putting it into first edition. Nothing oh. wrong with it whatsoever. Yep. You know, I mean, it's obvious if you worship certain dwarven gods, well, yes, the weapon of choice will be a battle axe, a warhammer. What else do they use? A crossbow. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever the case may be, so on. But definitely, what? yes. Go ahead. One of the things I found out very interesting, even talking about, you know, the gods, the different personalities of the realms mm. uh, and the locations, I think all a common theme at least in at least in my opinion, is extremely rich in detail. Yeah, it's like water detail. It, oh, yeah. it is just amazing the amount of detail that Ed Greenwood and company put into not only the original great uh box set, even the great box set, those two books, is there's there's phenomenal information in there. It, it really Gives you a good sense of what the Forgotten Realms is, the the, the flavor uh, in the text, um, and also had- the different supplements. Like I'm looking at uh, 
you know, the Savage Frontier uh, supplement, which, by the way, goes hand in hand with Water Deep in the North. You got to have both. Yeah. Hands down. And right. just reading through several pages is so rich in detail, you almost get the impression like this is a real place. That's that's very good. That's a very awesome description of how the Forgotten Realms brought out. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that it turned out that way because, I mean, just like you said, look how much work and effort, tears and sweat have went into this particular campaign, you know, a lot line. of A lot of big writers pulled in for that. Jeff Grubb was, wrote the hardback yeah. that was uh, – the Forgotten Realms book. I forgot the name of it. it was Forgotten Butcher. Realms Adventures. That's it. Thank you. With the horse yes. on the front door. That was a great book for uh, uh, just some, just some rich history. And the, all the deities were in there too as well. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. You talk about just like the the four books I got right here of the the supplements that were, and there were six that were done for first edition and seven through like fourteen or something like that were for second, but. Easily converted the first, obviously. You know, you got Water Deep in North by Ed Greenwood. Uh, Moonshade, Douglas Niles. Yep. Uh, Red Wizards of Thay was done by Steve Perrin. Uh, Paul Jacks, I believe his last name is Jacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Paul Jacks did Savage Frontier. I mean, those guys, they're well-known uh, writers of gaming material, and they all do some pretty darn good stuff. So, yeah, you're right. They pulled in some really heavy hitters. To do some work on yeah. this stuff. Yeah, and it's just yeah. like there's that city system box set that gives you a street-level map of Waterdeep. And you were describing that to me earlier before the show. I'm like, I'm kicking myself in the keister for not getting it back in the day. Right. And now I'm like, wow, I don't yeah, know why okay. I passed on that. Yeah, 10 you know? pull-out poster maps that all connect together to give you a giant map of Waterdeep. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's just amazing, the detail. And it even gives you the name and location of over 200 different buildings. So you know where every inn, tavern, blacksmith, guild, temple is located in Waterdeep. Yep. Right. That it's, it's surpassed being a like your typical fantasy city to being almost a real city. This re- mm-hmm. It reminds me... Of like the Invincible Overlord, that city, and the amount of detail. Actually, there's even more detail about Waterdeep. But yeah. that's just Waterdeep. There's, then there's also, oh, the, where uh, Baldur's Gate. Oh, I yeah. Love it. yeah, I mean, there's so many iconic oh, cities yeah. like that with that but, amount of detail available. Yeah, there's so much. It just, it's, it's almost impossible to, you know, to really be totally knowledgeable. And there's so much stuff coming out. Right. And now, even though we talk about cities like, you know, Waterdeep and we talk about Tantris and, and just going all over, I also want to cover like, you know, you know, like organizations. And see, I'm jumping back and forth because, I mean, there's so much. And we brought up the Red Wizards of Thay. Yeah. Uh, now, when I do my uh, campaign, I have a 13-part campaign. I think I mentioned this a couple times before, and it's broken down. It's it's really kind of a, a sandbox kind of thing. This people, get, the character players can go anywhere they want, and I took all the modules from first edition and placed them in the Forgotten Realms. Wow! So they can actually see now. Of course, when they go in levels, there's a lot of places they can't go. Either they're too high or they're too low for the module, so they'll they'll skip them. It just depends on their their choices of where they decide to go. Mm-hmm. Waterdeep. I'm gonna tell you why I love Waterdeep. One. 
it's it has no thieves guild as far as everyone's concerned but we all know there's a thieves guild there it's <laughs> run by that gigantic beholder which uh-huh. is awesome you I, can't beat the guy you know it, that's funny you <laughs> mention that I, just a little side trip on that i recall when i bought that supplement water deep in the north and i and i saw that cover i'm like what's the deal with the beholder and and the chick holding the stake you know, out for the beholder here and the dwarf with the peg leg. I'm like, that really intrigued me with the two pet intellect devourers right there. Right. And I remember reading that. I'm like, the oh. beholder's the head of like the, the thieves guild. I'm yep. like, wow, that's brilliant. I love that. I, I I was like totally intrigued like that. You know, that's something that like in the forgotten realms, you just don't see that coming. But it also gives the idea of what kind of place the Forgotten Realms is. When you say it's like high magic, high fantasy, there's a good example. When a beholder's running your thieves guild. <laughs> yeah, but see now, you talk about a beholder now. When I deal with other organizations like the Red Wizards of Thay or the Zentarum or Zentarum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm going to tell you who I really like. And that's the Kraken Society. Because their boss is a huge Kraken. Yeah. <laughs> so again, you're dealing with some super intelligent monsters who are controlling all these organizations and all the little peons, all either humans or non-human or you know whatever the world they are. You think like, well, it's just a it's just a regular old king or human king or a human bad guy. Oh no. These are some serious powerful monsters running these organizations. And I'm yeah. telling you, this this is what I love about the Forgotten Runs because this is the stuff that I like in my settings. Uh, you know, the same old boring cliche. Well, who's the uh, the head of that uh, criminal organization? Oh, it's a human dwarf with one eye. Oh, wow, that's lame. But then we say it's a beholder. You think like, oh, no, oh. I don't think we should mess around with that bad boy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if he's running the place, I wonder what his minions are like. <laughs> yeah. His right-hand man is a mind flayer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, much. let me tell you, exactly. And then, of course, you know, we got the drow. We, you know, we're dealing with those knuckleheads and everything. And, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that's what they are to me. They're all knuckleheads. They're always trying to overthrow the, the, the top of the world. And I, who knows what they're going to do. I can't wait till that story plays out. But, again, there's so many personalities. There's so many organizations. It just goes on and goes on. And, and Vince, you brought up the gods. I, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, me, I play by the book. As everyone knows, I, I strictly buy the book 99.99999% of the time, infinite nines. Right. But uh, my timeline is about five years before the time of troubles in my campaign. And you can't beat one of the greatest upheavals in a campaign uh, the, the time of troubles describes. Time of troubles was an interesting uh, read. I'll give you that. That's where the Avatar series went and started taking off. Yeah. Yes, and I thought that was just supreme in every way, shape, and form because, I mean, look, you have, you know, the, the gods are getting punished by the super god, the, the overlord. Ao. Yeah, Ao, or whatever they call him about. And then, you know, he says, okay, if you all want to play like this and everything, I'm just going to cast you all down and make you all like avatars. And so in that case, now you want to kill gods? You can kill them now because they're in their avatar form. They were that, you know, they, 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 they everything was stripped from them. I mean, they were still powerful and so on. Oh, yeah. And, and teach them a lesson. And, of course, there was a big upheaval. You know, a couple of the deities got killed. You know, uh, I can't remember something right. Bane was one. I believe Bane was killed. 
Yeah. Zor, I think, was, wasn't it? He was, well, I mean, their portfolio. And that's what I meant to say. They have a portfolio that when their deity was slain by another deity, their portfolio, their powers were assumed by the being that killed them. Who took over for them? It was, that's, was Cyric? Cyrus, yeah, Cyrus. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember who it was and everything, but Bane was not the only one that was killed. Who was the other one? That Nurgle, Naz, um, the other guy, the, uh, the two dead gods, they, they both got killed, and that one guy took over their portfolios. But things happen. That's how it works out and everything. It's just it's very impressive. One of my favorites. And I believe that's when – is that when Spellfire occurred or was that after? Spellfire. When was the Spellfire thing that took place? It just it, There's so many things that have happened because, remember now, psionics did not occur until after mm-hmm. the Time of Troubles, I believe. Oh, no, I'm not sorry. Not that not, not Sonics. Uh, what is that? That The crazy magic? Wild magic. Oh, wild magic. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. we go. That, I'm, I'm, I got my mind over everywhere. Yeah. We're talking about mind flare. When you're like, talking about stuff like that, because the Time of Troubles and the whole Avatar series, if I remember correctly, that was when they were uh, just getting uh, more or less started with second edition AD&D. Yeah. So yeah, but, but you know, it's just it's just amazing how all that stuff occurs. I mean, it's just a huge history. Now there's nothing. Now what was the one the uh, the old one, the old green box set that dealt with the ruins of Mythdranor? If y'all familiar with that, I think it was the ruins of Mythdranor. Stranger. Yeah, Myth, Mythdranor. Yeah, that was a that was a second edition box set. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, see, all that stuff. I mean, if you wanted to go back, you can go back in history. Mm-hmm. If if you go through that the time thing, and you could actually go back during that time period to try and prevent the disaster that struck that. But, of course, mm-hmm. uh, you must yeah. have failed because they still have the ruins of Miss Branner out. So right. I guess it didn't work out too much. Yeah, it's like the last uh, Pathfinder game I played. And we actually played in the Forgotten Realms in an alternate timeline where the Thay took over everywhere except parts of the Savage Coast. Right, and they had went and killed all the magic users, and basically just ruling things with the iron fist. And we were uh, basically captured slaves of the thing, and we escaped our slavery. And we're like, "Where do we flee to? Yeah, where, where do we, we go now?" Uh, <laughs> we were like the ruins of Mithranir because the thay won't even go there. Mm. So we actually made a home in the ruins. <laughs> that made sense. Like, let's go to the most dangerous place, even the most powerful uh, uh, organization on the planet doesn't even go to. Right. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, we we cleared out a small little nook in it, and uh, yeah, we were going to set up you know a, a home there. You know, uh, Will brings up a good point when he's talking about there's so much detail and so much material out there, even even at the beginning. It, it's it's great that there's so much of it, but it's kind of a double edged sword. And mm. what I'm kind of leaning. Oh, I'm alluding to here is you got those people who who are, you know, the diehard, you know, if it's not, you know, this timeline, you know, if it's not strictly like this in the in the books, you know, they're they're very, wow. I guess if it's not canon, then it's not like uh, it's not uh, Forgotten Realms or whatever. That's the problem with Forgotten Realms. Forgotten Realms had so much detail and history and a background that you were afraid to actually move around in it because you were afraid to change things. I mean, that, you could play in the world. I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't really care, first of all. Right. Play in the world, do what you want. But there was a lot of DMs just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Stay away from Waterdeep. Stay away from Icewind Dale and all those games. That's all canon stuff. Let's stick over here where there's nothing written about it, so we can. Yeah, do it. it's like the people have the same problem with Star Wars. Yeah, it's like, don't get hung oh, up on the yes. don't get hung up on the continuity. Make it your own. 
That is a huge issue I see with a lot of games. And, you know, let's go back to those personalities. I'm glad you all brought that up. Because we was watching, Lord of the Rings was on TNT last night. So I came over to see a friend and there was a couple people, you know, we was over there talking about a couple things. And so they was talking like, well, if we played a Middle-Earth role-playing game, and this applies whether it's the Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, or Ravenloft, anything with a timeline and the canon and everything. Well, how would how could I play that game without having to run into Elminster or run into Gandalf or, or run? And I said, listen. The world is huge. The chance of you running into, you know, any of these personalities and everything and anything you do will be inconsequential to the actual timeline. Right. So, you know, the, yeah, it, it just it, 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 and the canon will not be affected. You, you are a nothing. You are a nobody. You are a speck of sand on a beach or in a desert. Well, I also look at it this way. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of difference when you're talking about, you know, World of Greyhawk versus Forgotten Realms. The timeline in, in Greyhawk, this is just my opinion. Oh, please. The timeline in Greyhawk is, yes, there is a timeline, but I don't, it's not so structured around particular personalities that if your characters, and who who doesn't want to be the center of attention in their game? You know, you want to be it. You want to be the movers and shakers eventually. Yeah. Uh, so I think a Greyhawk, you can, for the most part, get away with that. Now, when Forgotten Realms came around and there, and when the flood of material came about, I want to be clear, when that flood of material came about, and that includes all the novels, I think a lot of oh, people yeah. did, did get a little scared when they wanted to game in the Forgotten Realms. There was a little... Wariness is like, well, do we want to go over here? Is the DM going to allow us to go in this particular area? Because in the timeline in this particular book, this is going on right now. It's your game world, folks. Who the, who the heck cares? You know, go and have fun in it. I mean, yep. the books and the book the books are a total different thing. Once you publish the darn box set and the materials, whatever materials, you're already on your own divergent timeline, okay? Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's just funny how it all came out because I remember in the, you know in the late '80s when this this material was coming out, and you know I'll be honest with you, I am not a fan of those age series of modules. I, I really didn't care about them at all. Which one? Uh, the Bloodstone Pass ones and the Maze of the Blizzard Minotaur, or whatever it was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Bloodstone ones. I didn't care for those modules. I never collected them because, one, I'm not into modules that are for level 75 to a million or whatever they were and everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Throne of Bloodstone levels 18 to 100. Yeah, that was. Right. But the Forgotten <laughs> Realms was coming around into first edition during that time period from 80s. From 86 on, I think that's when it started to infiltrate. I don't like that word, infiltrate. It started to, you know, well, yeah, that sounds like a good word. It started to infiltrate into first edition during that time period. Because first edition ended in, what, 1989, I believe? Yes. That's second edition. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so it was slowly infiltrating because I believe the thing you just said, the two great books that come in the campaign set came out yeah, in 1987. Yeah, Yep. 87 and uh, I do I do have some I do have the modules I have all the end modules and it, it mentioned that that N5 has the official logo of the uh, Forgotten Realms on it and of course yeah. and I14 yeah. I got I14 Swords of the Iron Legion 
And it just goes on and goes on. So there was quite a few things published. I think it was for the benefit of those that are fans of Dritz, that that stuff started coming out in 1988 concerning Dritz, you know, the Dark Elf or Drow Elf. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and all that. Icewind Dale trilogy, yeah. Yeah, but it all started coming out, and that's when the Forgotten Realms actually just exploded. It was a very explosive mm-hmm. thing. I don't know what it was about it. It was something fresh. It was something new. But right? whatever the – I mean, it is what it is. I mean, people liked it, 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 it and I, I'm, I'm just telling you, it's just going in, and it's, now it's going into the next uh, edition, a fifth edition. So you can't fight the, the beast. It's a wildfire out of control. But, you know, I like the Forgotten Realms. It's great. I, I, I love all the great material. Uh, if I play first edition, I, I steal a lot of Forgotten Realms stuff and insert it into the Greyhawk world because I think it just, you know, it just makes it a, a, a better place. Now, let me do one, say one thing about it. Yes, it is a high magic, high fantasy setting as far as the Forgotten Realms is concerned. It doesn't have to be like that. Just like uh, I think Matt said it. Did Matt? One of you said, like, do it however you want to have fun. Yeah. I said that, yeah. Oh, I guess all three you did. I think all three you said something about it. You don't mm-hmm. the Forgotten Realms. I make it a a low to mid level magic setting. That's how I choose to make it. I'm not a big fan of high magic uh, settings. I like it like Conan the the the, the role playing game. I like it low and gritty like. That's how I mm-hmm. like. That's how I do the Forgotten Realms. <laughs> Yeah, just do with what you can. Oh, there's so many supplements. The maps, it's unbelievable. Just get out there and get the stuff right. and use it. Yeah, find, or find the uh, Forgotten Realms Atlas, that CD-ROM that has the fractal oh. maps of the entire world, cities, dungeons, castles. I have a copy of the Forgotten Realms Atlas right here in my hot little hand. I, I remember when I got, got it back. At- I yeah I have I have a dead tree copy right here and it's one of my prized possessions. Yeah. Let me tell you, it is. But, uh, and great. that's good you brought up that interactive CD. Very difficult to find these days, yeah. but I tell you what, I have been finding out there and for good prices. If you can get the, now, are you talking you talking about the uh, Atlas or are you talking about the CD? The the Atlas that was the Forgotten Realms now, Atlas that was that's what they called the CD uh-oh. as well. Okay, there's two of them. See, I'm I'm thinking of both products. The, I, I, if you can get the Forgotten Realms interactive CD, yes, awesome thing to get because that covers a lot of detail. But if you could also get the Forgotten Realms act, the interactive atlas, you know, that's in that brown book, that thick one. Yeah. Another great supplement. If you yeah, can that's get the that. one I'm talking about. That's one I got here. The, the oh. same, same person who did the atlas, Karen Wynn Fonstad, she did the atlas of Dragonlands. Atlas of Middle Earth, Atlas of Pern. Yes. So, yeah, if anybody's familiar with those materials, knows that this atlas is a fantastic piece of artwork. Oh, and it is. It is. Just some great maps in here and yep. really brings it to life. I mean, she yeah. mapped the plane of Tartarus. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's infinite, so I don't know how she did that. Well, like I said, if you want to meet Wolfgar and Dritz, talk to your DM. Maybe he'll allow it. I'll tell you right now, I will. I will not. <laughs> not hey, the Realms is a huge place. It's huge. Yeah. It's too and, and, you know, they'll go on with the whole thing if it's canon, not canon, whatever it is. You know, Realms, ginormous place. And your, your, and your party is just one story in a larger story of the Realms. Right. 
and you oh, should yeah. and you should find some great uh, comfort in that. Yeah. You could be a part of the larger story. Yeah, it's just a little old fairy tale, anyway. Yeah, they, they, I don't know if the, the the players will ever make any, you know, note or consequence in that game. So, right. you know, as, as far as the, as the main story is concerned. So, if you want to, if you don't want to use Gandalf or Elminster, put the names together. Make uh, Ganminster. Eldolf. And don't forget, you can also throw in your Oriental adventures in the Forgotten Realms as well. well that's right, Caratour. Yes, well, Caratour. Yeah. That's a part. That's a whole big part of it too, as well. Legends of the Five Rings. Put it all in there. Yeah. Put it all in there. It's just. It's just so much you can do with this setting. It's just. It's just amazing. Just remember, you know, that the DDs do get them. Now, I think the DDs don't get involved as much anymore after the uh, the time of troubles, though. Yeah, they kind of uh, learned their lesson. <laughs> yeah, they were beaten down into submission after that, and so. Which makes me wonder if if why the Supreme Overlord cannot handle. Uh, Loth. Why does she keep coming, popping up, doing all these horrible things? I don't know. She's evil. She's Loth. <laughs> yeah, but you figure, being that he is the supreme god of all the gods, you figure he'd say, you stop this lady. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'll step on you like the spider you are, or whatever, the, you know, what he might say to her. But Sweet. it's just amazing that he just sits back and lets these bad guys do all this horrible stuff and everything. But when the good guys want to do something, they get punished. And, you know, and ah, the old, the ever uh, old uh, question of the why is there evil in the world? Yeah. Because yeah, well, without so... evil, you can't have good. Yeah. Well, then yeah. you just have neutral people then. Exactly. So if he's a yeah, so there if you wanted a god of good, you have to have a god of evil just to have the balance. Because what yeah, is right? I, I just don't see how Loth is just getting away with all that stuff. She is just getting away with murder. Oh well, yeah, that's Loth for you. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I know a lot of people have asked if they wanted to follow canon, what's the best way to start? Oh boy. <laughs> There's oh, oh, realms, but good luck. Um from what I remember reading, I always generally started mine off with the Dark Elf trilogy novel books. Yeah. Worked my way yeah. from there going into um uh, the uh, Icewind Dale trilogy, followed up Legacy of the Drow. Uh there's, there's so many different versions of what's the proper way to read through it. I can only say start with the uh I would start with the Dark Elf trilogy or the Icewind Dale trilogy. That's probably the best places to start. Actually, you know what else? Since you brought that up, that's interesting how you brought that up, Vince. Mm-hmm. If you want to follow true canon yeah, and go with was, yeah. the real timeline, yeah. get the Forgotten Realms campaign uh, campaign book for 3.5. It's that real big, thick, gray one. Okay. Have you all seen that? Because it has the entire timeline for the entire game, which includes all the novels and everything that happens. If they want to follow true canon per the role-playing game, is to get the main campaign source book because the timeline goes in there and it tells you everything that happens. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean that timeline is very extensive. Yeah, but I was talking about as far as um, book novel-wise. If someone oh. wanted the novels... Yeah, I see, and that's the good thing about that timeline because that timeline mentions all those things that happen, like Dragon Bait and all those knuckleheads and Dritz and his Wolfgar and the dwarf and all the idiots too. You know, all those those personalities, and it just goes on. You know, because they don't have too many novels on Elminster. Well, there's quite a bit from what I can see on my shelf. 
Yeah? I said I count at least through four. Well, oh, that's Spellfire. He was in that one. Didn't he have his own book? He had at least four books, one of them going to hell, coming back from hell, going back to hell again. Yeah. Oh, is that when he died? Yeah. Yeah, because there's like Elminster making of a mage, Elminster and Myth Danier, the temptation of Elminster, Elminster in hell, Elminster's daughter. Elminster sings again, you know, things like that. Yeah. yeah Elminster well, at Burger King. I can't tell you if all that stuff is Oh, wait a minute. They didn't write that one. Elminster goes to Burger King, did you say? Yeah, Elminster goes to Burger King. It all sounds like romance novels to me. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> or those yeah. Western books where there's 10,000 of them, and you think, like, which one's canon, which one not? That's difficult. Yeah, that's a difficult question. Yeah, oh, it, here, I'm going to of... put in the uh, – send you all a link to all of the Forgotten Realms novels out there. Wow. Broken up by series. And I'm just looking at this list. I'm like, how could anyone even possibly read all of these? Well – I've read quite a few of them because I was into. Um, there were two sets of books I always read. And they were the Dragonland series, because I really loved the Dragonlands and Forgotten Realms. Because when that first came out, I was like Will said, everybody caught on, thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I remember, I remember, I think it was the Icewind Dale trilogy was the first one I picked up. I'm pretty yeah. sure of that. Ah, uh, that's the first ones I. Pe- oh, you know, I also yeah. picked up the ones with the. Uh, oh, the Rise of the Savage Tide. Did you ever see those three? Yeah. Those are great books. Oh, I love those things. I love it when you deal with water monsters and everything. Yeah, it just it just uh home. Oh, it just you know, so much Ari stuff out there. Salvatore, who mm. you know, who did a, a good chunk of the the, the novelizations for you know Forgotten Realms. Huh? What's sad about him is he wrote such fabulous books for Forgotten Realms. But if you pick up one of his just bland novel fantasy novels, it stunk. Really? I never liked them. Mm. That's because Dritz is not in there. I don't care about Dritz. I wasn't a Dritz fan. I just liked his style of writing and what he did with the characters. I remember seeing a YouTube video of him. He was a, I think I spoke about this once before. He was speaking at some university about writing and his thing. And someone asked him, you know, what's your favorite, you know, when you do role playing, what's your favorite one? He goes, AD&D first edition, of course. (laughs) <laughs> right you know, he said he said if i ever had an opportunity again the play and he goes i i think he said something like, very rarely but i do at times i like ad and d first edition so if you're listening <laughs> i'll dm for you anytime there bud <laughs> I look, I look yeah. on, i'm looking on amazon real quick here for, on forgotten realms novels in chronological order part one they listed as ever met Island of Elves as the first book to read. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, not at all. Well, Weird. maybe if you actually went by timeline. Maybe that. So it reason. actually is predates in the official realms uh, history, the uh, Dark Elf trilogy, whereas the Dark Elf trilogy may have been the first books actually released in our world. Right. Well, it's a, either way, it's only a penny. You can buy it for a penny. So, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. It was like a lot of my books I picked up at half price books in the clearance section for like 50 cents. Oh, yeah. So you can find wow. some deals out there on the novels because yep. there's so many printings of them. Well, when did that book come out there, Vince? With this one right here by Elaine Cunningham in 99. Well, that's weird because, you know, yeah. because that don't sound right. That's the first one to read? If you want to read it per chronological reading order, 
yeah. of what happened in Forgotten Realms. It's, it's listing this. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah. So basically, in '99, they wrote a novel that predates Drizzt and the uh, Forgotten Realms history. So they went. It was basically like the prequels in Star Wars. Wow. Okay. That's so interesting. Th- yeah. So if you were to actually read the books in that order. One, it would be really hard to jump between all the series because I'm sure it'd be like, okay, read the first book in like Baldur's Gate, then read the second book in Cycle of Night, and then the first book of Dungeons and, and yeah. All right, I'm just qualifying this list right now. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> see there, see there, see there. I'm what just, happened? Just listen, Sign of a true gamer. It, it is totally wrong. <laughs> totally wrong because number thirteen on his list is Vampire of the Mist Ravenloft book. Uh, no, I, I've never, I've never read a Ravenloft book that had really much to do with Forgotten Realms. Did Have someone get sucked into the mist from the realms? Maybe, eh, doubtful. But that that would be like including the Lord Soth Ravenloft books in Dragonlance reading. They don't list yeah. Elf Trilogy until book number eighteen on here. Wow. No. Wrong. List is qualified. <laughs> okay. Worst list ever. We're, yeah, definitely worst list ever. All right. Well, we're not wrong. There's just so much to talk about. I don't know where to where to begin to start. I don't know. Well, I'm gonna end it now. All right, fine. <laughs> yes, books are hard to uh, pick out. Uh, I suggest actually, you can contact any one of these authors on Facebook. Honestly. I know I've contacted Lane Cunningham, spoken to her many times. She's a very nice woman. I bet if I asked her what book to read, she'd probably tell me what the book to read. It's not hard to find them. Just find them, ask them. They're very nice. So let's head into our next segment. Oh, man. What the heck is that? Stand aside, you fool! I have a spell that will work here! What do you mean I can't hit with that? Alright, fine. Show it to me in the book. Welcome to Game Mechanics. All right, uh, game mechanics this week, kind of going with our theme of the uh, Forgotten Realms. Going to talk about the uh, Barbarians of the North in the Forgotten Realms, the Uthgart Barbarians and the Northmen. And maybe see if there's any uh, interesting rules associated with them, maybe some skills, and uh, maybe how to kind of make a unique uh, PC uh, based off the different uh, Barbarian tribes of the North, so... If anybody wants to, like I said, anybody want to like chime in, you know, go right on ahead. So, uh, so basically, you have two different uh, tribes of barbarians in the north, and I'm kind of going with the Savage Frontier book. That's Forgotten Realms FR5 Savage Frontier. Mm-hmm. So you have you have the uh, the Northmen who are described as bold, macho, impetuous, fierce in battle, and callous in their treatment of others. So they sound like really nice guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, some of the things more specific about like weapons and proficiencies, they prefer the battle axe 
more than any other weapon. Uh, the other weapons like missile weapons, they only, uh, would be the closest thing they would use is a javelin because uh, other missile weapons are not considered weapons of a true warrior. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, they tend to wear armor like leather, armor and shields. Uh, more of your other chieftains might have stuff like chain mail or even uh, maybe even plate if they're if uh, if they're high enough level and they're uh, the prominence they are in the in barbarian society and Northman uh, society. Uh, I like one of the things that did say in here uh, about the Northmen love a good fight. They like you know prize physical strength and weapon prowess above over thing uh, other things. It is not uncommon to find a Northman king that is not, that is not at war. So they like to fight a lot. One of the things I did find really cool, uh, at least interesting in this respect, is when talking about the Northmen is uh, the Berserkers. And you could think of really the Northmen, obviously a real-world uh, uh, analogy would be your Vikings. So uh, amongst the uh, Northmen in the Forgotten Realms, there's a certain amount of them that are berserkers, you know, and, you know, I was berserker. My, my uh, father uh, was a berserker. <laughs> so get to the chopper. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Don't you remember the movie, Eric, the Viking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he talked like this because his father was a berserker. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, they, uh, <laughs> give uh, ones, uh, the barbarians in here, the specific ones that are berserkers. They get a plus two bonus to hit. Or they may attack twice per round and need never check morale. So that's pretty nasty. Um, I was kind of thinking about this. I guess if you want to use that rule, that's really cool. But if I do recall, there is a Berserker class that was in Dragon Magazine. Yeah. But I think it was just an NPC class. I know it's in uh, Best of Dragon Volume 2. Wasn't it, it a second was... class? Yeah, I think it was like just an NPC class, but who say you can't use it as a PC? If you want someone to play a Berserker, I can't see why not. Or you can use this rule, too. If you were going to have, uh, if you were going to create a Northman fighter or a barbarian or what have you, and, you know, there's a 20% chance per individual, apparently, that they might be, some of those fighters are Berserkers. You know, roll that percentage when you're making your fighter character. And you get those particular abilities when you go Berserker Wits in combat. <laughs> so you can use that little thing. Plus two bonus to hit, you know, attack twice per round, or or they attack twice per round and need never check morale. So that's pretty cool. So you have the different, uh, there's different um, Northmen, uh, like different sub-races, I guess you might want to call them. So you have the guns, and they are probably the most, I guess, uh, civilized of the four Northmen tribes. I guess they're more m merchants and fishermen. Uh, they are found, a most of them are found along the Sword Coast, obviously. Uh, they only have a 50% chance to gain the benefits of barbarian character class, and they're rarely berserkers. Thus, why they say they're probably the most civilized of the four. Then you have the, the Turinish, uh, these guys are interesting. They worship no gods, tolerate no magic users in their midst, but give tribute to the red dragons of the mountains. So 
They try to enslave all non-Northmen and when visiting other lands, defile temples of the gods. So these guys are pretty nasty. <laughs> I don't know if I would make a player character from that one, that particular one, but hey, <laughs> if you're playing, if you're going for a real dark type setting for Forgotten Realms, maybe our Turnish Barbarian is go was something want to go with. There's also the Rauthan and Luskanites. Uh, they seem to be on the islands out in the in the Savage Frontier. They wear, they dress in furs, wear horn helmets. Ooh, hey, look at that, Vikings. Uh, their ships depict figureheads of red and white dragons as do their sails. And they have one, the last one's the Rocklanders. And I thought these were the coolest of the four. This description is so great. The people of the Purple Rocks were once a Gandarlian colony. There are no, there are no aged here and no children. The skins of all the people are usually scarred and weathered. For Northmen, the Rocklanders are unusually warm and friendly, though their smiles may seem fake. They appear to worship the un, the usual Northmen deities, but their graven images of those gods all show many tentacle-like arms. Mm. The longships favor squid-like figureheads. The Rocklanders are worshippers of Cthulhu. <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> That's how I would take that one. I think that would be a really cool plot hook. You know, you hear about these Rocklanders up in the north. They're, they're, they're snatching a, a other people from other tribes, and they're using them in some weird sacrifices. And they want you to go and find out, uh, you know, if you can stop this one lot Rocklander village. And you go in there, and you see this huge totem of Cthulhu there. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought... Or I was reading through it. I'm like, wow, how did I miss that before? That'd be a really cool plot hook for a game. So those are, in a nutshell, those are the one type, the the Northmen. Then you have the other ones, which I I remember from the Icewindale trilogy, the Uthgart uh, barbarians, and these seem more of the more traditional barbarian types. Particularly, it does say in the book that you know they are standard barbarians as per unearth arcana rules but i think you could go a little bit beyond that i think you can kind of look at the different tribes they have and each tribe has different totems that they follow uh for example the very first one the black lion tribe uh they give uh there's a small little blurb at the beginning like what their clerics and their sh- shamans are and what their beast power that particular cleric or shaman gets like the black lion tribe the lions roar deafens foes for 1d6 turns if they do not make a saving throw versus spells what was that again the lions roar lions roar hey that's kung fu hustle <laughs> <laughs> I remember that movie. That was cool. <laughs> but that was that was a pretty cool thing. But it says only uh, Bogerhart can wield this power. And Bogerhart Blackman is the head shaman of the Black Lion tribe. Well, maybe if you wanted to make a, a shaman you know, or, or a cleric of, of the Black Lion tribe, maybe you have a lesser version of that. Maybe you can only do it for 1D3 turns or maybe only last for like a couple of combat rounds or something like that. So, you know, just throwing out some ideas if you want to make characters based off of these. 
Um, maybe also for the Black Lion tribe as a barbarian, uh, if you're making a barbarian out of the Unearthed Arcana rules, maybe uh, for a Black Lion tribe, maybe you get uh, a special attack that's like a lion, like you, maybe like a special, uh, you could use like special claws as one of your proficiencies, for example. You know, just some ideas I was coming up when I was reading through things to kind of get away from just what's within an Earth or Canada rules as a standard barbarian and kind of make it to where if you're from a particular uh, tribe, how is your barbarian character can be a little bit more uh, unique in that respect. So you have the Black Lion tribe, Black Raven tribe, Blue Bear, uh, Red Tiger, the Griffin tribe, which I thought was really cool. The Thunder Beast tribe. Their tribe is very interesting because the Thunder Beast tribe, actually, their totem is a Brontosaurus. And I, when I read through that, I'm like, why would it be a Brontosaurus? Apparently, way back in the ancient days, uh, there were Brontosaurus running around in the north, and somebody along the line in one of these tribes decided that this would be a totem for the, one of the tribes. So... Yeah, I just and I thought maybe uh maybe a barbarian from this tribe, if you make a player character of them, maybe they could do like a I don't know, special stomping attack. I don't know. Something like that. So there's all these other different tribes in the uh in this particular section. Uh the Grey Wolf tribe, Elk tribe, Great Worm tribe. Their tribe actually is led by a great elder worm, probably the only one that's in existence. So I always thought that was kind of, you know, kind of interesting. If you're going to use this uh, particular book and you want someone and, and someone in your uh, group wants to play a barbarian, you know, look through this section and there are some really cool ideas for a DM and maybe a player they can sit down and make your your character rather unique based upon your tribe. And also these tribes have rivalries amongst other ones. Uh, maybe uh, if let's see the ritual enemy of the uh, blue bear tribe is civilized farmers. Uh, the black Raven tribe, their ritual enemies is the Griffin tribe and foreign merchants and clerics. So those are little things that you could throw out there for someone making a barbarian from one of these tribes, like from Black Raven, they ever run into someone from Griffin tribe. And I'm sure everybody's thinking, okay, Gryffindor. I but, uh, <laughs> so I know everybody was thinking that. It's like, oh, they hate Gryffindor. Yeah. Harry Potter, Harry Potter. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for the, but yes, <laughs> Snape. Uh, Raven but Black Claw. Raven, yeah, they don't like the folks from, from Griffin. The Black tribe. Raven Claw? So black. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> she stole it from Forgotten Realms. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, what would happen if two of those barbarians met? You know, would they would it you know almost become like a standoff between the two? Would it break out in direct hostilities? You know, it makes for some interesting role playing uh, going on. Or if you're playing someone from uh, the Blue Bear Tribe. They, like they said, their ritual enemies are civilized farmers. Well, what if you're adventuring other parts of the realms, you're going to the farmlands, and you have a barbarian from this tribe? 
how's he going to treat these farmers? Is he going to kill them or is it going to be kind of, you know, going to stand off a little bit? I don't know. So anyway, uh, what do you guys think about some of this stuff on the barbarian tribes? Well, I think you forgot, you forgot two tribes and that's the, uh, G T T C tribe and the N tribe. N tribe. Yeah. Now, Oh, <laughs> get to the chopper tribe. Now got them too. <laughs> well, you know what? There is actually one uh, set of barbarians I did forget, and they're the actual barbarians in the Icewind Dale. I almost forgot about those, and they're almost set up the same way as the other Uthgart barbarians. They have different um, totems for each tribe. Tribe the elk. Uh, wolf, bear, and tiger. And if and if I remember correctly, in the Icewind Dale trilogy, it was um, Brunor. No, not Brunor, but uh, Wolfgar. The Wolfgar. He was one of those. Uh, which tribe was he with? Tribe of the Wolf, was he not? He was uh, with Wolf came, Tribe. I thought it was the Tuma Tribe. The <laughs> Tuma Tribe? <laughs> it's not the Tuma. Really, it isn't. Took oh, my God. father's sword. <laughs> That's another tribe. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. The Sumerians. Yeah. But you know what? That's really actually yeah, I brought that up. You can kind of think of like these Northmen tribes. They're kind of like a combination of like the Vikings, the Sumeri- Sumerians from uh, Conan. From Conan. Yeah. Kind of like that. So as a DM or a player, if you want to make a, a barbarian character, or if you don't want to, you just want to have a fighter class that has a little bit of like a barbarian flavor to it. This is a great way to go, I think. Yeah, so you, I, I agree. So that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it out to people out there and see what they have to say. Yep. We'll go on to our next segment. That is not dead, not scared, not scared, and with strange ears, even death may die. I welcome the unwary to the creature feature theater. Okay, so we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, dragons in Forgotten Realms. Uh, they're a little bit different than the regular uh, dragons in regular Greyhawk of the Monster Manual. So a couple things to point out that are really different about them that they noted here in the book as my iPad closes on me. The number of attacks per round have gone up. The damage of breath weapon has changed and the subdue rules have changed because remember you can subdue a dragon. Yes. That was mostly... Have you ever subdued a dragon in first edition ever? No. No. <laughs> no. I remember doing it back in uh, Classic D because they had rules for it, but first edition, I don't remember ever doing it ever. Yeah. Either ran away or killed them. Yeah. <laughs> but, all right. So those start, first of all, they're, they do go to greater ages now because they have great worms and they have uh, a venerable dragons, which are a little bit older than the dragons listed in the monster manual. Now, let's see. Number of attacks per round, they can do twice the normal attacks they normally did of biting and clawing in a single round. And that's within a 15-foot area. So it can be divided amongst a bunch of, say, four or five fighters or whoever's standing in a line. So they could do what they have to do to defend themselves. That's a difference to change right there. 
mm-hmm. the breath weapon, which I think really powered these dragons up a lot. The fact was, uh, let's see, they were allowed to three times in a 24-hour period was the original breath weapon ability for a dragon, depending on his age and everything. Now, it's they can do it as many times as they feel necessary within a 24-hour period, as long as it keeps within the hit dice of the breath weapon. So if they want to do a 1d6 breath weapon, they could do a 1d6 breath weapon every round up until the amount of hit dice for breath weapon is used up. Now, don't you guys think that makes it a little more powerful than a regular dragon? Well, yeah, because I think dragons should be kind of powerful. (laughs) Well, it also makes sense, though, that they'd be more powerful since it's a high magic setting. Mm. Everyone's running around with all this powerful magic, so the dragons would need to be bumped up. Yeah, I yeah I kind of see it that way too. Yeah, I think uh, the the power curve does kind of go uh, with the amount of magic that is in the setting. Yeah. So I think that in itself, if you take that into consideration, I think that power bump when you're talking about stuff with the breath weapon and the attacks per round, mm-hmm. I, I, it makes sense. Yeah. But if you take them out of that setting, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> Now, they have the um, one thing I like to point out here is they actually point out that a dragon has dragon fear, which I don't remember reading anywhere else. But it was something common that I've always used in my campaigns that if you're this little third level guy running up to this giant dragon, you're not going to be like, ha ha, and running after him, going to kill him. You're going to be like, oh crap, there goes my armor. I got to go clean myself and run away. Wasn't right. that also present with some of the dragons in Dragonlance as well? Yes, that was. Yeah. Well, hmm. But I like the fact that they acknowledge the fact that there's dragon fear and that smaller creatures of smaller hit dice are going to be running away from these creatures because of the aura that they put out towards them. Yeah. Your player character is a third level going to see a great worm is going to be like, oh, crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just seeing the giant eyeball looking at them through the cave, they're going to be like, I got to go. Yeah. I think I left the cake burning in the oven. See you later. <laughs> yes. And now the subdue rules have changed quite a bit. Before it was just, ha-ha, the dragon's sleeping. You could subdue that dragon pretty easily, well, according to classic rules and first edition rules. Now it's you have to actually wake the dragon up <laughs> and say, ha-ha, dragon, I challenge you to a duel. And pretty much it's a quarter of the amount of damage each weapon does when you attract a dragon. Now things like fireballs, anything that does a, like really serious damage will piss the dragon off to non- existence and he will go after you without fury but dragons will generally agree to subdue it's kind of like going to the devil and saying i got a temptation for you and if you win this you get that type of thing Mm -hmm. always listen to it the dragons will always listen to your temptation or challenge and they'll pretty much go through with all the time unless they're totally evil and most of the time they'll honor it depending on what alignment they are lawful neutral or chaotic chaotic only 50 percent of the time now let's say you subdue the dragon Okay, yeah. so now it's your little pet. He's going to obey you, but, but. <laughs> not necessarily all the time. Right. It's on the alignment, and there's also conditions on the dragon as well, because some dragons will just be like, fine, you subdue me, take whatever you want from my, my treasure and get lost, and I don't ever see you again. It could be that type of thing. It could be he will follow you around to a certain point, and then once he sees the fact that you're beaten down to you know beyond submission, he'll be like, ha-ha, and stomp on you and run away. So it all depends on the type of dragon you do. Dragons do not like being sold in a common market, if you read this paragraph here. 
and a lot of the times they'll try to get away they'll, no matter what they don't want to be caged like the whole king kong thing bring right. submission so have you ever done anything like this nick or matt as far as subduing a dragon mm-hmm no, like I said, I either ran away or we killed him. Um, so. Yes, uh, actually, I have, but it was in more of the uh, black box basic game that came out in, like, 89. It was We Boxes, yeah. subdued a red—we uh, found a sleeping red dragon, so we kind of uh, lit it on fire huh. with a bunch of oil and burned it to death. <laughs> Now, I, As first-level characters, because we were 12 and playing this game and therefore had to do ridiculous things. And then we right. went to town and sold all the dragon meat. I know in uh, in our Hackmaster game many years ago, uh, I didn't subdue the dragon, but they subdued... Well, they actually beat the white dragon into submission. They didn't just subdue it. They beat the thing in because <laughs> they killed its mate they they threw a phantasmal killer at it like um you know what would a a dragon be afraid of when you use the spell phantasmal killer and you know it a larger dragon it basically yeah, yeah. or its mom it's so mom. yeah clean your room so yeah they kind of yeah they really beat that thing in the submission I think they eventually killed it anyway. I, I just like the whole fact that there's a chance to role play here with this. Yeah. You, you you wake the dragon up. You go to the dragon, you know, I challenge you to a duel. And the dragon's just kind of like, hmm, I'm bored. I'm just laying here on my treasure. Why not? Why not? You, so. you know, it's weird, too, because I think it's one of those, sub, the, the the whole subduel thing with dragon is like a, is really a interesting part of that particular monster when you're dealing with them but i think it's just very rarely used and i you know the whole role-playing opportunity that you bring in up vince is is so can be so much fun and it can be any sort of duel i mean i and i think that kind of harkens when you're talking about like a like a book the hobbit they kind of had a duel going on with the whole you know trying to guess who he was when he was invisible. So it's like, it could be, it might not be a physical duel. It could be a duel of wits, you know? It could be like Bill and Ted when they play the, the Grim Reaver and all those board games. There you go. See, it could be something like that. You, you know, it could be a God. chess match. You know, maybe, maybe the, oh, here you go. Okay, here, plot hook, plot idea. Uh -oh. you know, next time you run into a dragon, maybe this dragon has a particular fondness for the game of chess. But all of his chess pieces are all like life size, right. <laughs> and not only life size, but they're all like um, like the knights are actually the 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 armors of the knights that he's killed. <laughs> like in the Harry Potter movie when they were all giant, they were on the board flying around. Yeah, kind of like that. A have a dragon with a gambling problem. <laughs> he has a gambling addiction. A plot that you find that dragon and his chessboard pieces are missing and you have to go find them for him. There you go. That's really good. Ooh. Cool. All right. Well, dragons should be striking fear into people. And I've always still considered, like, dragons, a dragon's breath to be forging swords of magic. I don't know if everyone's ever heard, heard of that theory or myth. I think I have. I think I have, yeah. Uh-huh. I think I saw this most recently... Uh, 
I read it in a Merlin, one of the Merlin trilogies things, and how dragons would forge swords. The wizards would bring ancient swords to a dragon, and they would breathe on it to enchant it with their magical breath. So the wizard would get the sword that they needed or something. I always thought that was kind of interesting. And you guys never use that method, I assume. I have it, but you know, that would be really cool. I mean, depending on what the breath weapon is, it huh. will give that ability to the sword, like a uh, blue dragon using its lightning breath. Maybe, maybe that sword will have do like a, some sort of like a, like a shocking grass type hit. That'd be a really cool yeah. idea. And oh, yeah, I, th- yeah, about, I think that's good. The last thing they say about dragons in here is that uh, dragons come with spellcasting abilities. Use them. <laughs> yes. yes. A lot of people forget to do those things. They forget to use yeah. the spells that these dragons have. Well, I think uh, a lot of problems with dragons, and well, actually not the dragons themselves, I think the problem is is people that use dragons they don't play them you know properly and i'm not going to say that i'm the leading expert on how to use dragons but let me tell you something if i had a dragon and it has a breath weapon it's using that breath weapon as many times as possible yep and with the spell abilities too if it has them of course yeah you have just just because you're walking to a lair of a uh of a green dragon well, if he's intelligent enough, he might have spells like fireball and disintegrate and web and stuff like that. Right. You have to remember, these are intelligent creatures. They're not your random animal that's just going to lash out you in a violent flurry. They're going to have strategy. They're going to have tactics planned out in their lair. You know, they have other ways of defending their lair other than just breathing on you. Yeah, they might even have minions right. of their own. They'll have minions. Pers- def- They'll yeah. have traps. They'll have little maybe enclaves in the ceiling that they can hide in. Yeah. The, or escape routes. They'll they'll have lots of other things going for them besides just their raw stats. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think a lot of people miss. They're not mindless monsters. They're actually these intel- hyper-intelligent, in some cases, creatures that like to hoard lots of treasure. Yeah, I've always, anytime I have a chance to play a dragon, I've always had the opportunity to role-play a dragon. Never just they automatically attack. Right. Always with, what are you mortals doing here? Or something like that. You have to. You have to ham it up with a dragon. Okay. I mean, you just don't, like, just go in there and have an attack exactly. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah one thing I like to do is, Dragons can assume human shape in most cases. Use it to your advantage. Oh, mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Cool. Yeah, I like doing that stuff. Oh, that, that'd be something. You go into the dragon's lair and you just see this human. There's no dragon, but there's a human trapped in a cage. You're like, oh, it's a prisoner of the dragon. The dragon's not here. Let's free it. And then as you're leaving, all of a sudden, there's the dragon as it morphs back into dragon form. Chomp. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, Nick. You're cute. Dragon food. Yeah. Hey. Just, you just got backstabbed by a dragon. Ooh. Anyway, tell us what you think. Right in. Let's go to our last segment. As the secret portal yields to your efforts, you stand amazed at a vision from the most fevered dreams of avarice. Before you lies... The Dragon's Horde. And now we are in the Dragon's Horde, and we're 
since this is a high magic setting, it wouldn't be complete without high, highly magical items. And so we're going to go to the Moonshay for these items. The Ooh. nice l- little uh, island cluster full with magic and other things with a very Celtic flavor to them. And out of uh, FR2. What is Celtic flavor? Is it spicy? Uh, I think a little mix between beer and. Oh, sorry. Yeah. A, a little bland, but enough to keep your attention. Just, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can get behind that. Yeah. And what we're going to talk about is just four of these items out of uh, FR2 Moonshay. On page 61 through 63 is has just a slew of unique magic items you'll only find in the Moonshay. One of them is the Cauldron of Doom. Just with the name alone makes it great. Cauldron of Doom. Exactly. <laughs> is it but, rising out of the swamp with evil villains inside of it? I mean, what? Well, <laughs> evil villains do come out of them in a way because when you throw a corpse into it, it the corpse becomes a zombie. But instead of having two hit dice, it has four hit dice. Ooh. And whoever tossed the corpse in is its controller. And has armor class of five. Yeah. How many times can you do this? It doesn't say. No, so you just keep throwing bodies in. They keep coming out zombies. If you Four had this... dice, AC5 zombies. Nice. Yeah. This was like every necromancer's dream. You don't even have to cast spells to raise the dead in this case. You just throw in a body. Hey, you could have some grave robbing fun with this one. Mm, no kidding. Yeah. And then, so we have the Cauldron of Doom, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we have the Avenging Hammer. It's a war hammer that you have to have at least an 18 strength to even wield. So, more often than not, if your players find it, they're not going to be picking it up because they're not war worthy. Kind of think Mjorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you mean Thor? Yeah, Thor. Well, his hammer's Mjorn, or more nil. Yeah. But Captain America can pick it up, and the Hulk can pick it up. Well, they have 18, 19 strength. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> <laughs> but this is a happens as a works as a plus two hammer most of the time. But when it is wielded against people wearing armor metal or metal armor, that is, <laughs> including chainmail, upon if you roll an eighteen, nineteen, or twenty, their armor is destroyed. It in rendered useless. Wow. I love that. I just like imagine smacking someone in plate mail like a paladin. He's got like field plate. Smack him in the noggin, and like all of his armor just like shatters off of him because of this hammer. Yeah, he's standing there like in his polka dot like boxers. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. This being wielded by just like a lone villain with a hammer wouldn't seem intimidating to most parties. Until they get that first hit, and the paladin's armor falls off. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, they're going to start thinking twice about yeah. attacking this guy. Yeah. And now we're going to move on to a sword that from the Moonshay. That is the sword of Crimerich Hugh. I'm sure I butchered it, but oh well. <laughs> yes. And this is actually an artifact of the first High King. It's a plus four longsword for the most part, but it also has the ability of detecting demons within a 36-foot radius. Wow. Or actually that's inches because two dashes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Two so, dashes. So three hundred and sixty feet. Yeah. Yeah. So it, and it's usable at will. However, there's a catch. Uh, Should the beast cause a Goroth be within the range? There, they must the wielder must make a successful saving throw against spells or be compelled to battle it. Oh, nice. Yes. So basically, yeah, you have this great sword that's great for beating up demons, but if the right demon's nearby, you have to attack it. Or the wrong demon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Which can create some interesting situations if all of a sudden the fighter or the paladin in your party just starts running off by themselves. You're doing battle with something else like a room over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then lastly, though, We've covered weapons for the melee combatant. We're going to actually cover something for the more magic users. Well, the druid of the group. We're going to go with the druid staff. It's an oak shaft that lets you cast summon animals, except it summons all animals of the type you call within a 12-mile radius. Oh, wow. So if, you, <laughs> if you're in a rich forest and you summon all the squirrels, you're going to have a horde of squirrels. I am the squirrel master. <laughs> yes. And once Fear all these roar. Meep. once all these animals reach the druid, it's just like they were under the control of an animal control spell. Cool. And then the staff can also but that uses two charges when you do it. If so you can Only two. Only two. Only two charges. Yeah. If you want to, if you only want to spend one charge, you can cast animal control on any animal in sight. And oh, yeah. it's also a plus two weapon in general. So, oh. so you get your plus two to hit, and it's dealing one d six plus two damage. You see that saber toothed tiger over there in the corner? He's gonna be my friend. Yes, he's my precious friend. And it gets, but we're still not done with this staff because it's not ridiculous enough as it is. It also functions as a python staff with all the characteristics of a staff of the serpent. The only thing is, though, if the serpent is destroyed when you're using it, the staff also goes away as well. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. A little caveat to that. Yeah, a little caveat. You know, and then also, if you're wanting to spend multiple charges again, you can cast the following spells Call Lightning, Dispel Magic, Cure Serious Wounds. Plant growth, cure disease, speak with plants. Speak with plants. plants yes. That's about as useless as Aquaman using speak the fish. I don't know. Some of those old trees may have some stories for you. <laughs> what are they going to tell you? The consistency of squirrel droppings. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Get to the old tree now. <laughs> then it also it still has there's still more because it also has a monthly power. Once a month, you can cast at no charges. Wall of Fire, Transmute Rock to Mud, Conjure Fire Elemental, Insect Plague, Wall of Thorns, Conjure Earth Elemental. Nice. Yeah. But after using its greater power once, the staff only regains this ability if it's recharged in a moon well beneath a full moon. Hence the once a month. So best case scenario... You're only able to recharge it once a month. Okay, I see. When you use one of those heavy-duty ones. Right. Okay. So, yeah. 
Needless to say, that's an item I think any druid would love to have. You think? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so what do you guys think of this wonderful menagerie of wacky and powerful magic items? I dig that. I dig the cauldron. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Instant undead army. Boom. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I could just see if you had like a rogue undertaker. He as he gets the dead, he throws them in the cauldron, just slowly amassing his uh, horde of undead zombies. Cool. And he wins at WrestleMania. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, King Kong Bundy would make a huge zombie. Oh, yeah. I might actually give him an extra hit die, so he'd be have five. Go, next time you go to a wrestling event, get King Kong Bundy's autograph for Will. Yes. <laughs> I've actually never ran across him somehow. Oh, wow. I mean, I've worked shows with, like, Greg Valentine and, like, Jimmy Snuka, Jerry Lawler. Jimmy Superfly Snuka? Yeah. I worked a show with him, like, 11 years ago. Sweet. Yep. <laughs> No, I, I like that artifact, though. That cauldron's awesome. I think that would be a great, you know, uh, a side adventure or something like that, dealing with someone that's uh, doing those zombie things. That's awesome. Right. I yeah, could even... There's like a whole bunch of other ones in there, too. Oh, yeah. So. And that, that's just, just touching on some of them. I could even see if the Thay got a hold of this, they just take uh-huh. the bodies of all their victims, throw yeah. them in. They, as they, or even the fallen Thay when they launch like a battle. They just collect all their dead, throw them in the pot. We got zombies. Send them back out. Yeah, we have a bunch of small undead pixies running around. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yes. Zombie (laughs) barbarian pixies. That sounds like Hackmaster. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Sounds cool. I guess that's going to put an end to the show this week. Okay. Mm. That was fun. Be sure to stay tuned later on in the week as Will and I did a special insert for everybody out there. Ooh. We, won't, we won't tell you that's about, but it's some of the questions that people were asking in the forums. And then Will and I said, we will do it. We picked up the brand. <laughs> so we stay tuned for that. And we'll be back next week with another brand new show. So keep it original, keep it old school, and consider Forgotten Realms. Clerks use blunt weapons? They can use any weapon. Yeah. Oh, okay. In the realms, anything goes. <laughs> there you go. Aha. Good night. Good night. See ya. Later, everybody. Roll for initiative. <laughs>